Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina asfa amma ba'd. Dear respected brothers, sisters, elders, youngsters, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Continuing with Kitabu Badil Wahi Babun Kaifa Kana Badul Wahi Ila Rasulillah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Wakolillahi Jalla Dikruhu inna Ohaina Ilaika Kama Ohaina Ila Nuhi wan Nabiina min Badi. This is a chapter on how the divine revelation started and was revealed on Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the ayah quoted Inna Ohaina Ilaik, verily we have revealed upon you. كَمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ نُوحٍ Just like we had sent the revelation to Nuh alayhi salam and nabiyyina min ba'di and the prophets after him. This first hadith of إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ We covered in detail. Today inshaAllah our focus will be inshaAllah بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ وَتَوْفِيقِي on this hadith. <coughs> Just this one hadith. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وبالسند المتصل منا إلى الإمام الهمام محمد إسماعيل البخاري اليماني الجعفي أمير المؤمنين في الحديث متعن الله بعلومه وعلومهم آمين يا رب العالمين قال حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله تعالى عنها أن الحارث بن هشام رضي الله عنه سأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا رسول الله كيف يأتيك الوحي فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أحيانا يأتيني مثل صلصلة الجرس وهو أشده علي فيصف عني وقد وعيت عنه ما قال وأحيانا يتمثل لي الملك رجلا فيكلمني فأعي ما يقول قالت عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ يَنْزِلُ عَلَيْهِ الْوَحْيُ فِي الْيَوْمِ الشَّدِيدِ الْبَرْضِ فَيَفْصِمُ عَنْهُ وَإِنَّ جَبِينَهُ لَيَتَفَصَّدُ عَرَقًا So in this hadith, we will just first translate it and then go back and, and discuss a few points insha'Allah. First is the sanad, skipping over the sanad in the translation. If you go to the matan, the text. One is the sanad, is the chain, and one is the matan, is the text. So, we have here that Harith bin Hisham radiallahu anhu, sa'ala, he asked Rasulullah sallam, and he said, فَقَالَ He said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu How does the wahi come to you? How does the revelation descend upon you? فَقَالَ Rasulullah sallallahu So the Nabi sallallahu alayhi replied, and he said, أَحْيَانًا means sometimes, يَأْتِينِي, it comes to me, مِثْلَ صَلْصَلَةِ الْجَرَسِ Like the ringing of a bell. And وَهُوَ أَشَدُّهُ عَلَيَّ And this is the severest form, the most difficult form of the revelation of the wahi. It is difficult upon me. It's the hardest one. It's here translated here. This form of inspiration is the hardest of all. Okay. Then it goes, فَيُفْصَمُ عَنِّي And then when this state of the ringing of the bell passes, وَقَدْ وَعَيْتُ عَنْهُ And I, I have, I'm in such a state that I have now understood and I have memorized and it has been preserved in my heart what Jibreel had brought the wahi. It is preserved in my heart at the end of the ringing of the bell. So the ringing of the bell is for some time and when this uh, procedure completes, it is preserved in my heart. Of course, there's much to discuss about this. We're just translating it now. 
واحيانا ان sometimes الله اكبر يتمثل لي الملك رجلا the angel جبريل عليه السلام he comes to me in the form of a human being he comes in the form of a human being so he speaks to me فيكلمني he speaks to me just like a human speaks to a human just like i'm speaking to you فَأَعِيمَا يَقُولُ And I continue to memorize and I grasp what he is saying. قَالَتْ عَائِشَةُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا Aisha Radhan narrates and says her observation وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ And I have seen my husband, my Nabi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam يَنزِلُ عَلَيْهِ الْوَحِيدَ He is being revealed upon him فِي الْيَوْمِ الشَّدِيدِ الْبَرْدِ In the coldest day فَيَفْصِمُ عَنْهُ And when, this, uh, when he finishes receiving the revelation, what is his condition? جَبِينَهُ His forehead is, is uh, filled with يَتَفَصَّدُ عَرَقًا The sweat is dripping off from his forehead. SubhanAllah. Allah Akbar. So in this hadith, if you go back, first there is a sanad between us and Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi This is a sanad we covered in the first uh, session of the first day. So that sanad and that chain of narration and narrators is the same for the entire book. From you through me to my teachers all the way back to Imam Bukhari. Muhammadun Ismail al-Bukhari al-Yamani al-Jurafi Amir al-Mu'mineen al-Hadith Matta'anallahu bi'alumihim ameena ya rabbal alameen May Allah grant us his knowledge and the knowledge of all our teachers. So that is the sanad between us and Imam Bukhari. But between Imam Bukhari and Rasulullah each hadith has its own unique chain. So here the first one he mentions is Abdullah ibn Yusuf. Abdullah ibn Yusuf al-Tanisi. Originally he was Dimashqi from Dimashq which is in Sham. May Allah protect Damascus. This whole country was destroyed in the war. Uh, so he was Mawladan, his watan where he was born was Dimashq. But then He's known as Abdullah bin Yusuf al-Tanisi because he moved to the town of Tanis. Tanis was a city uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea in northern Egypt, in Misr. And this city has, is an ancient city which has become abandoned. It is named after Tanis bin Ham bin Nuh salam. That's how ancient the city is. The grandson of Nuh salam. So this is the teacher of, of uh, Imam Bukhari directly in this chain. We see his name. His name, Haddathana Abdullah bin Yusuf. Imam Bukhari has heard this hadith from Abdullah bin Yusuf. And this Abdullah bin Yusuf is uh, a student of Imam Malik. As he says here, Qala akhbarana Malik. He says, Imam Malik narrated to us. Um, and he also studied from Imam Layth bin Sa'ad. Imam Malik was, as we are going to come to the next narrator, he's the great Imam of Medina. Layth bin Sa'ad is the great Imam of Egypt. And it is sufficient for us to understand his greatness that he, he amongst his students, who is his student? If his teachers are Imam Malik, Layth bin Sa'ad, his student would be Imam Bukhari. Imam Bukhari himself is one of his students. And others, Imam Duhali, Imam Yahya bin Mu'in, etc. His student Imam Yahya bin Ma'in, he mentioned, مَا بَقِيَ عَلَىٰ أَدِيمِ الْأَرْضِ أَحَدٌ أَوْثَقُوا فِي الْمُوَتَّةِ بِنْ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بِنْ يُوسُفَ التَّنِيسِ There is no one on the surface of the earth who has the best memory and has retained the Muatta of Imam Malik. Imam Malik, rahmatullahi is known for his Muatta. It's a book of hadith known as Al-Muatta. 
who uh, has the best knowledge of the Mu'atta of Imam Malik compared to Abdullah bin Yusuf. And this is a book that we still teach till today in Dar Salaam in the Madaris throughout the world. It is known as the Al Mu'atta of Imam Malik. It is a very well known book of hadith. Some of the scholars, they uh, consider it to be amongst the Siha Sitta, the sixth most authentic book. Um, and they don't include Ibn Majah, and instead of Ibn Majah, they prefer Imam Malik's Mu'atta. It precedes the other books. As you can see here, he's the grand teacher of Imam Bukhari, he comes earlier. So, Imam Bukhari, he learned the entire Mu'atta of Imam Malik through the same teacher, Abdullah bin Yusuf. So this would be the same Sanad where he carries the, uh, where he learned the entire Imam Bukhari. Moving forward, uh, he says, Abdullah bin Yusuf said, I heard it was narrated to me by Imam Malik. Imam Malik, we can have a, a whole seminar about him. Just this one name, is very, uh, uh, which, Alhamdulillah, I mean, we actually did. Uh, we had a series on the four Imams and, and were actually not here, but another masjid. So there was uh, different uh, were, um, speakers were assigned different Imams, Imam Hanifa, Malik, Shafi, Ahmad, Muhammad. So this was, I was actually assigned Imam Malik, <laughs> incidentally. So Alhamdulillah, there is a wealth of information about this great personality. Allahu Akbar. Suffice to say that he is not only Imam of Hadith, since we're talking about Hadith here, and the compiler of the Al-Muwatla, but he is also an Imam of Fiqh. And there are four Imams whose madhahib have continued and amongst them, Imam Abu Hanifa is the first one, Imam Al-A'zam Abu Hanifa, Rahimahullah. And then the second one is Imam Malik ibn Anas. And the third one is Imam Muhammad ibn Idris, Shafi'i. And the fourth one is Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Now this first, second, third, and fourth, I'm not saying with respect to rank necessarily, because that is something subjective. The follower of each imam would consider his imam to be the best, and that's totally fine. I'm saying with respect to chronology of the time. Era-wise, Imam Hanifa is the first one, he's the tabi'i. He was born in 80th year Hijri and passed away in 150. And then Imam Malik comes after. The year he passed away, 150, was the year Imam Shafi'i was born. And then Imam Shafi'i was the teacher of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, number four. So there are only four imams whose madhahib continued. No, I did not say there were only four Imams of Fiqh. There were, there were many Imams of Fiqh. Many, not only Imams of Fiqh, but many who were Mujtahideen and who did Ijtihad and developed their whole Fiqh. But their Madhahib did not survive. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His infinite wisdom decided that these four Madhahib should continue. Right? Sometimes some individuals who are short-sighted, they ask that, you know, why do you have four madhahib? Like what is so significant about the term four? Is it, you know, that you are clinging on to four madhahib? Why don't you have more madhahib or less madhahib? What's the significance of the number four? So this question is as logical as if somebody asked that if a person had ten children, and one died in an accident, and one died from some sickness, and one had a crash, and you know, one died in a plane, a train, in a car, whatever. Or some of them died together. And six children passed away. And then he only has four that remains alive. 
So if somebody says that I'm trying to figure out what is the significance of four, why four had to remain? Why aren't they five or seven or eleven? Why not, or three or two? Why four? So what's the answer? Simple is that, look, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ma a'ata wa lahu ma akhath. To Allah belongs that which He grants, which He takes back. He chose to take back six, and He chose to keep four. So that's why, you know, why are you getting so hung up over the number four? It's just that four, Allah decreed for them to remain alive, to reach adulthood. And the remaining six were born, but then they ended up dying. Likewise, there was Imam, um, subhanAllah, as he spoke about Laith ibn Sa'ad, he had a madhab. And Imam uh, Abdullah ibn Mubarak, and subhanAllah, if you want to pick an Imam that actually had a madhab that lasted for some time, then died, is Imam Sufyan Thawri. It was a particular fiqhi madhab, Imam Sufyan Thawri. And Dawud Lahiri. But all of these madhahib over time were not preserved. And these four madhahib, they remain. Allah gifted them with such students uh, who noted down all of the principles of their fiqh and developed those madhahib. So he is, mashallah, an imam of fiqh and imam of hadith both. Every imam of fiqh has to be imam of hadith by default. And not every imam of hadith has to be an imam of fiqh. The reason is that a faqih is the one who is uh, giving, has the knowledge of fiqh. Faqih is the one who has deep knowledge of fiqh. Rasulullah said, Faqihun wahidun, one faqih, ashadu ala shaytani, is more difficult for, upon shaytan, heavier upon shaytan to misguide. Min alfi abidin, than 1,000 worshippers. 1,000 worshippers. We, we covered the hadith last, uh, la, last night in the Laylatul Bara'ah. Mufti Adibuddin was speaking about Tawbah. And uh, mashallah, you are listening to that talk either here or online. There are two categories, those who are listening on site and those who are listening online. I don't know if there's any third category. Uh, so those who uh, we were listening, that they were there, uh, that subhanallah, there was a person who killed 99 people. Then he went and asked an abid, the worshipper, who said that, no chance for your tawbah. Then he killed them, became 100, then he went and found the alim. So, faqiyun wahidun, one faqih is ashaddu ala shaitani min alfi abidin, is greater upon shaitan than 1,000 worshippers. So, a faqih is the one who has a deep knowledge of fiqh. And the fiqh is what? The rulings of the deen. Uh, what we are supposed to do in our life, in any given situation, what is the ruling, what is the hukum of the sharia? The one who has that knowledge. Now where is the faqih going to come up with the fiqh from? He's not going to make it up on his own. It's not based on some random dreams or ideas or whims or fancies. His fiqh that he's giving the answer for, the question, is based on either Kitabullah, the Qur'an, or the Sunnah of Rasulullah, the Hadith, or the consensus of the Ummah, Ijma', or an analogy, an understanding, and logical inference from the above, which is called Qiyas. These are the four principles of all fiqhi masail. Any fiqhi masala, ruling, hukum, judgment, fatwa, it will be based on number one, kitabullah, Quran, number two, sunnatul rasulullah, the hadith of rasulullah, number three, consensus of the ummah ijma, number four, qiyas. So to be a fiqhi, these are necessary things. A person has to have knowledge of Quran to derive the ruling, has to have knowledge of sunnah to derive the ruling, has to have knowledge 
of the consensus of the Ummah in any matter that is not already explicitly mentioned in Quran and Sunnah. And number four has to have the knowledge of, uh, of how to reason and do ishtihad. So can uh, a scholar be a faqih in a mufti uh, or a no- has knowledge of fiqh without having knowledge of hadith is impossible because that is one of the tools the faqih will use. So every faqih is a, is a muhaddith by default. And the muhaddith, the scholar of hadith, uh, he may be a scholar of the words of the Rasulullah and memorize them and be able to grade them and rank them, which ones are sahih and which ones are saqih which ones are strong and which ones are weak. That is a requirement to be a muhaddith, a hadith scholar. Now beyond that, understanding the text and deriving the rulings, he may be gifted with that and he is not necessary though. So if he has that additional knowledge, then he is a faqih and muhaddith both. And if he doesn't, he's just a muhaddith. And both are necessary. So muhaddithun, they excel in their memory. And the fuqaha, they excel in their comprehension as well as memory. Comprehension of what? If you don't have the memory, then what are you going to comprehend? What are you going to interpret? You don't even have the text. So having the text is a necessary condition for being able to interpret the text. We can't divide it up and say, Oh, muhaddithun knew the words of hadith and fuqaha explained the hadith. How are the fuqaha going to explain it without knowing it? They have to know the words, then they can explain the words. So that's why every faqih is a muhaddis, not every muhaddis was a faqih. So Imam Malik was both. Malik ibn Anas, Imam Dar al-Hijrah, Imam of Medina, and the teacher of Muatta. Just like we are sitting here and we are remembering him and we are, we are going over the hadith of his grand student. His student was Abdullah bin Yusuf and Abdullah bin Yusuf's student is Imam Bukhari. Subhanallah, there was a time when Imam Malik was sitting in Masjid al-Nabawi and he was teaching the hadith. And he would give his famous sanad. His sanad was Haddathana Nafi'a. He narrated from our teacher Nafi'a. Haddathana, Qala Haddathana Abdullah ibn Umar. Radiallahu anhu. He narrates from his teacher Abdullah ibn Umar. Radiallahu anhu. Who narrates? Qala Sami'atu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But instead of saying Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, many times he would say Qala Sahibu hadha al-Qabri. The dweller of this grave next to me has said thus. Because where was he teaching the hadith? He was teaching the hadith. Next to the grave of Rasulullah. So we say, Qala Rasulullah, and he was teaching the Dars hadith, he would say, Qala sahibu hadha al qabri, the one who is lying in this grave, he has said thus. Imagine such a Dars would have what a beautiful flavor. And it's not just because of the words, it's because of the Adlama that he had in his heart for Rasulullah. One time Imam Malik was giving the Dars of hadith, and the color on his face became red and purple, and red and purple kept on changing colors. And the students had so much haybah, so much ru'b. They were so, he was so awe-inspiring, Allahu Akbar, that no one could ask him, are you okay? Why is the color on your face changing? Uh, but after the dars finished, and he closed his book, and he was getting up to move, they wanted to ask him, is everything okay? So before they could ask him, he asked one of the students, come, please come here. And he said, please lift up my shirt and look at my back, what's going on? So when they lifted his shirt, then they saw that a scorpion had bitten him and had injected venom in his back, like 12 different places, 12 bites of a scorpion. They said, oh Imam, oh Ustaz, why didn't you stop the dars so that we could 
killed the scorpion and you kept on getting bitten uh, multiple times. He said, how dare I disturb the dars of the hadith of Rasulullah for this personal pain. So Alhamdulillah, Imam Malik Rahmatullah Ali, he, sh- he had that level of love for Rasulullah, level of respect for the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, accepted his book Al-Muatta till today. Imam Malik rahmatullah alayhi, he had na- uh, 900 mashayikh in hadith that he narrates from. These are not 900 hadith, you know, if, 900 teachers. From each teacher, he studied hundreds of hadith. Uh, from these 900 are very neatly divided into two categories. 300 of his teachers were tabi'un. Second generation after Sahaba. And 600 were tabr tabi'un. He himself, since he narrates from 300 tabi'un, what does that make him? A tabr tabi'i. He himself was. So, just to refresh us in case we forgot that the, after Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned three eras Khairul Quruni. Qarni, we mentioned this in the khutbah many times, second khutbah. Khayrul qurun qarni, thumma alladheena yalunahum, thumma alladheena yalunahum. Today I went over time, so I made it short. The khutbah, I didn't mention this, so Allah gave me opportunity to say it now. <laughs> it was the shortest khutbah ever today, the Arabic portion. Khayrul qurun qarni, the best of all ages is my age, the era of Sahaba. Thumma alladheena yalunahum, then the era of the Tabi'un, second generation. Those who saw the Sahaba. Is just by seeing a Sahabi you become a Tabi'i? Or by just by seeing Rasulullah you become a Sahabi? No, you have to see them. Sahabi is the one who saw Rasulullah and accepted Islam. Do you think the definition is complete? The one who saw Rasulullah includes Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab. But accepted Islam, okay. Then what's the third condition? It's the scariest one of the all. The one who saw Rasulullah accepted Islam. Died on Islam. Allahu Akbar. The one who passed away with Islam. Because the fact that you saw Rasulullah and you accepted Islam, you're still not a Sahabi until you die with Islam. Because there are few exceptions which are very scary indeed of those who became murtad. Then you say a Sahabi became murtad. No, he's not a Sahabi. He's not a Sahabi because he doesn't fall under the definition of a Sahabi. He's not a Sahabi until he dies with Islam. Subhanallah. And the Tabi'un are those who saw the Sahaba, accepted Islam, and died with Islam. And the Tabu Tabi'un are those who saw the Tabi'un, accepted Islam, and died with Islam. And may Allah allow us to die with Islam. You haven't seen anyone. Uh, so, where are we going to be? Allahu Akbar. Anyway, so he had 300 Tabi'in teachers, 600 Tabu Tabi'in. One uh, scholar before him had written a Muatta book of Hadith, Ibn Abi Dhib. And anyone heard of Ibn Abi Dhib? If you haven't, that's exactly the point. No one, right? He wrote a book, Al-Mu'atta. Somebody came to Imam Malik and said, Come on, man, what is the point? What's the point of your book? Ibn Abi Dhib already wrote a Mu'atta and you come around writing another Mu'atta. So for example, when you go uh, for a PhD thesis, one huge part of the process is you have to make extensive research and it itself may take months to prove what? That no one has written on this topic. That's, a, that's like the first part of the whole to, uh, selection of the topic for a thesis in any subject. You have to prove that, none, that uh, there is a need uh, for a new contribution on, on this topic from this angle and no one has written on it. 
right? Otherwise, you know, you, you can't regurgitate, uh, regurg uh, keep on repeating the same thing. So that's why somebody asked him that, Mal fi What's the point of your book? There's a Al-Mu'ta already written. So then he said, Ma kana lillahi yabqa. That which, Ma kana lillahi yabqa. That which is written with ikhlas for the sake of Allah, that will remain. So he didn't say that his predecessor didn't have ikhlas. He just said, Insha'Allah, I'm writing this book with sincerity, and Insha'Allah, this will remain. So the Mu'ta Imam Malik, rahmatullahi, is still with us till today. And this is exactly what happened. Akhbarana Malik. Now, Imam Malik, rahmatullahi, he narrates on Hisham ibn Urwa. From Hisham bin Urwa. Hisham bin Urwa, he's from a very noble family. And we can talk about his father as well. Because the next narrator is his father. Hisham bin Urwa an Abihi. He narrates from his father. So Hisham, the son of Urwa, narrates from his father. Who's his father? Urwa. Because Hisham is the son of Urwa, and he narrates from his father. So this, the name of the father is already there, right? It's not too hard to... Do you see what I'm saying? Hisham, the son of Urwa, narrates from his father. Oh my God, why didn't they put the name of the father? Because the name of the father is already there with the name of the, the son. Okay. So this Urwa, this Urwa is Urwa ibn Zubair. And the Zubair is Zubair ibn Awam. Subhanallah. So this is a very noble family. Hisham, son of Urwa, narrates from his father Urwa ibn Zubair radiallahu anhu. Urwa ibn Zubair, uh, uh, so this Hisham ibn Urwa, he was uh, a tabi'i, teacher of Imam Malik. He was from Medina. Originally the Sahaba all came from Medina, but he is among those who remained in Medina. In the era of the Futuhat in conquest, in, uh, that occurred in the era of Umar ibn al-Khattab many Sahaba moved out to different areas. But this family left, was, uh, stayed in Medina. And as I said, he's a tabi'i, he's a junior tabi'i. Uh, and his father, Urwa ibn Zubair, is a senior tabi'i. What's the, you know, in every era, you'll have the senior ones and the junior ones. You're like, you have senior Sahaba, who are senior Sahaba? They're there from the beginning. Sabiqoon al awwalun Like Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman. They're there from day one. Like, um, what is uh, Sa'ad bin Abi Yuqas radiallahu anhu says, Kuntu sudsul ummah. I remember when I was one sixth of the ummah. SubhanAllah. I was myself one sixth of the ummah. What does that mean? This obviously means he was the sixth one to accept Islam. So they are Sabiqoon al awwalun Then, SubhanAllah. You got the last one, you know, like when the bus, it already leaves the stop and it's already gone. And then subhanAllah, you might remember in your student days, then you're running, 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 jump and catch it. But then what happens? MashaAllah, you're on the bus, you made it. And there are those who come, like in the pre-boarding. <laughs> huh? From the beginning, they're sitting there before the bus even moves for a long time. So, but you still made it. So there are those who accepted Islam right when Rasulullah was leaving the world and they saw him for a few moments. They also, Sahabi, junior ones. So likewise in the Tabi'un, you have senior Tabi'un, who saw a lot of Sahaba, and then you have the junior Tabi'un, who saw only a few Sahaba. So Urwa ibn Zubair is a junior uh, Tabi'i. He, he met those few Sahaba. Now a junior Tabi'i, do you think he was going to meet senior Sahaba or junior Sahaba? Junior Sahaba. Because the senior Sahaba are passed away by the time he comes around. So he met Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu. Uh, who Allah blessed with a long life. He was one of the last Sahaba who passed away in Medina. 
and he met Jabir bin Abdullah, not the father Abdullah, Jabir. So he's meeting the junior Sahaba. So he did meet them, so he became a tabi'i. Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma, when he was a young boy, uh, Hisham, this Hisham, when he was a young boy, he passed his hand over his head and he, and he made dua for him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted him and made him a great scholar. He was born in 61 Hijri. Right. That tells you only uh, not too many Sahaba are around. And he passed away in 145 Hijri. Now, his father here, An Abihi, as I said, is uh, Urwa ibn Zubair. Urwa ibn Zubair radiallahu anhu comes from a noble family. His father, Zubair ibn Awam, is one of the Ashara Mubashara bil Jannah. We should know the ten names. The Ashara al Mubashara bil Jannah. Ten Sahaba guaranteed Jannah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Abu Bakr, fil Jannah, wa Umar, fil Jannah, wa Uthman, fil Jannah, wa Ali, fil Jannah, wa Talha ibn fil Jannah, wa Zubair fil Jannah. That's it, Zubair, the father of Urwa. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf fil Jannah, and Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah fil Jannah, and Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqad fil Jannah, and Sa'id ibn Zayd fil Jannah. So these are the ten Sahaba guaranteed Jannah together in multiple occasions. Otherwise, kullan wa'adullahu al-husna, Allah guaranteed Jannah for all the Sahaba. So all the Sahaba are mubashar bil Jannah. But why these ten? Because they were on not one occasion, multiple occasions mentioned, their names were mentioned together. Sayyid ibn Zayd radiallahu anhu, he is the, one of the narrators of this hadith, which he never narrated his entire life, because he felt bad that his name is there, he didn't want to fall under the category of those who are praising themselves. Allah Ta'ala says, Alam tara ila ladina, do you not see those people? Yuzakuna and fusahum who praise themselves. Who say, I'm holier than you, I'm holier than thou attitude. So he never narrated it. But he was on his deathbed and he was dying. Final breath was coming out. Then he had this burden on his chest that he never narrated this hadith. What's the reason? Because his name is part of it. So he remembered the warning. And he remembered the instruction from Rasulullah That you should narrate from me that which you have heard from me. And I heard this hadith from Rasulullah so I better narrate it. So he called someone, he said, I want to teach you one hadith. He said, you know, take it easy. You're on your... He didn't say you're on your deathbed. He said, you're very sick. So take it easy. Uh, he said, no, I have to teach you this hadith. It's, it's very late. I have to teach you. So he said, he said, Samirat Rasulullah He doesn't have a long chain. No chain. I heard this directly. From Rasulullah The same hadith. Qala Rasulullah Abu Bakr fil Jannah, wa Umar ibn al-Khattab fil Jannah, wa Uthman ibn Affan fil Jannah, wa Ali ibn Abi Talib fil Jannah, wa Talha ibn Ubaidullah fil Jannah, wa Zubair ibn al-Awwam fil Jannah, wa Abdurrahman ibn Awf fil Jannah, wa Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas fil Jannah, wa Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah fil Jannah. Then he said, wa Al-Ashr fil Jannah. He came there and then he got stuck and he was stuck, stuck, he, he like, he was stuttering, then he said, wa Al-Ashr fil Jannah, in the 10th one in Jannah. So the, the student, the tabi'i, he said, wait a second, doesn't make sense. What do you mean, wa Al-Ashr? He said, wait, wait, let me try to say it again. He tried to repeat the whole hadith when he got there. As he said, Zaman lar karan lagi, right? Which means he started stuttering. And he said, wal ashiru fil jannah, in the 10th one in jannah. So he said, doesn't make sense. What do you mean? Who's the 10th one? He said, okay, inshallah I can do it this time. He got the courage. And then he pushed through. And he said, Sa'id ibn Zayd. Sa'id ibn Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail. Fil jannah. 
Subhanallah. So this was Urwa's father. It's kind of odd because again to remind you, Urwa's name is not here. It just says An Abihi. I'm looking at the word Abihi. Abihi is who? This is Urwa. Um, this is very beautiful. Sometimes you see this in the Sanad. You see like the grandson. Uh, he narrates from his father who narrates from his grandfather. So they'll give the whole name. They'll say like, you'll see this in the Sanad. See, it says here, An Hisham bin Urwa. But Zubair is not part of the picture here. Zubair radiallahu anhu. So that's why his name is not there. But if he was, it would go like this. An Hisham bin Urwa bin Zubair. Then I'll say after that, An Abihi an Jaddihi. Hisham bin Urwa bin Zubair. He narrates from his father who narrates from his Grandfather. Subhanallah. So this is very common. The son narrates from the father, the father narrates from the grandfather. Like Ali Zainul Abidin narrates from his father, Hussein bin Ali. And Hussein bin Ali narrates from his father, Ali bin Abi Talib. And Ali bin Abi Talib narrates from Rasulullah. What a noble chain, like that. So this um, Urwa was the son of Zubair. Zubair as I said was from the Ashram al-Bashar. Zubair was the first cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa His mother Safiya, Zubair bin Awam. So Awam was married to Safiya. So his mother was Safiya. And Safiya anha was bint Abdul Muttalib, the daughter of Abdul Muttalib. Daughter of Abdul Muttalib. Meaning she was the puppy, paternal aunt of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Safiya. Interestingly, I think one of the last sessions we did from the 10 Sahaba Guaranteed Jannah series before the pandemic lockdown was Shahid Zubair radiallahu anhu was the last one. We had a whole session and we used to call it story night. That's just the stories of the past. Allah. So that was Zubair radiallahu anhu. His, his mother was the paternal aunt of Rasulullah. So he was a, he was a first cousin of Rasulullah And his wife was Asma radiallahu anhu. Asma bint Abi Bakr, the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. So, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was the nana, paternal, maternal grandfather of Urwa radiallahu anhu. And Asma radiallahu anhu, her, her sister was whom? Aisha radiallahu anhu. Aisha radiallahu anhu was the sister. So that, she becomes the khala of Urwa ibn Zubair, the maternal aunt. And her husband, Aisha, was very famous. Who was he? Muhammad bin Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa So Rasulullah sallallahu is the khalu, is the uncle of Urwa ibn Zubair. Urwa ibn Zubair was one of the imams of Medina. There are seven imams known as Aima Sab'a of Medina. Seven great fuqaha, fuqaha Sab'a of Medina. Uh, from the era of the Tabi'un, he was one of them. Now, this... Uh, he narrates an Aisha from Aisha radiallahu anha umil mu'mineen. Now this is uh, interesting here that this is a direct student of Aisha. Aisha radiallahu anha is umil mu'mineen. She is a woman, of course. She's the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu And there's a student who's a male narrating from her. So if you look in the chains of hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha, she narrated one third of knowledge. She's amongst the top narrators of a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The primary narrators of a hadith from her were her mahrams, were her relatives, were, did she have any children? She did not have any children. Rasulullah had children from whom? Khadija bint Khuwaylid radiallahu anha, Abu al-Qasim sallallahu So his first son was Qasim. And 
Then he had Abdullah, who was known as Tayyib bin Tahir. Then he had Zainab, Ruqiyah, Umm Kulthum, and Fatima, four daughters. That, those were the children from Khadija. And then he had Ibrahim ibn Rasul from Maria Qibtiya. But did he have any children from Aisha? No. So Aisha anha, as far as students are concerned, from who narrate a hadith from her, she didn't have any sons that she could teach. But she taught her nephews. So here is a nephew. Who is the nephew? Urwa ibn Zubair. This Urwa ibn Zubair in Urdu is known as the Bahanja, sister's son. Asma radiallahu is her sister. So Asma's daughter, a son is sister's son, Bahanja, nephew. Nephew could be either Batija or Bahanja. Could be brother's son or sister's son. It's only one word in English. What is it called? Nephew. So her Bahanja and Batija and, and multiple nephews, her brother's children, her sister's children, they were all her students. They narrate hadith from her in Bukhari and all the books. She doesn't have her own children. She has a kunniya, Umm Abdullah. Nabi Wasallam gave her the kunniya because everyone would have a kunniya, Umm Fulan, Umm Fulan. She doesn't have any children. So Nabi Wasallam said, okay, we will call you Umm Abdullah. Which, which Abdullah is this? Abdullah bin Zubair, who is a sahabi of Rasulullah and the older brother of this Urwa bin Zubair, another uh, nephew. So, and he was a very famous nephew. <clears throat> he was the eldest son of Zubair radiallahu anhu and Asma radiallahu anhu. The eldest son was Abdullah bin Zubair. He was a Sahabi. This Urwa bin Zubair came later, so he was not a Sahabi, he was a Tabi'i. And it's very famous because when the Muhajirun made Hijrah from Makkah and came to Medina, for some time, they, none of the Muhajirun had kids for a number of weeks and months. They, they just never had children, and whoever delivered ended up having a miscarriage. It was sad. So, the Yehud of Medina, they say something very foolish because it was going to be proven wrong very soon. But they, they couldn't resist it. So they ended up saying something. They said, oh, you know what? We have cast a spell on these Muhajirun so they will never have any children. And their lineage will die off very soon. After they die, no one's going to replace them. That's what they, they said. It was quite risky to say that, right? Because what if they have a child? Sure enough, the first child who was born and lived to adulthood was Abdullah bin Zubair. So, you know, just like for example, there are, there's a family, there are multiple sons and daughters. And then in the next generation, they have so many kids, so many grandkids. Hard to keep count of them. But the most prominent grand, grandchild is which one? The first one, right. So somebody has in their family. Like the first grandchild, every grandfather, grandmother, aunts, uncles, Everyone gives a lot of attention to the first grandchild of the whole family. He gets a lot of affection and love. May not get to his head. May Allah protect him and us all from kibber and arrogance. Because he's the most famous, he becomes the most famous one. Afterwards, every sister, every brother is having four or five kids. And then, of course, for the parents, they're all important. But for the grandparents, uncles, aunts, it's hard to remember. This is when there's so many. So Abdullah bin Zubair, when he was born, it wasn't just Zubair and Asma radiallahu anhuma had a child. All the Muhajirun were excited and all the Ansar were excited. Okay, this is the first baby from the Muhajirun in Medina. So Nabi sallallahu gave the title to Aisha radiallahu anhu, Ummu Abdullah. Abdullah was her nephew. And this Urwa bin Zubair is a nephew. So the primary students from Aisha are her nephews. Urwa bin Zubair, Abdullah bin Zubair, and Muhammad... Uh, Qasim bin Muhammad. 
قاسم بن محمد بن ابي بكر قاسم بن محمد بن ابي بكر رضي الله عنه meaning this is not bahanja anymore this is batija brother's son muhammad bin abi bakr's son qasim he was also one of the fuqaha saba so we will see that an qasim ibn muhammad an aisha qasim bin muhammad narrates from aisha urwa bin zubair narrates from aisha what's happening here nephews narrating from their uh, their puppy or khala from their aunt because even the wise of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam the hijab was there subhanallah and this title that is given to them an aisha the ummul mu'minin you see this title ummul mu'minin the mother of the believers what does that mean this is based off an ayah in the quran where in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says an nabiyyu awla bil mu'minina min anfusihim the right of nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam over the believers is greater than the right that you have over your own self subhanallah like your parents have a right your children have a right your spouse has a right and then you have a right over your own self you cannot take your life That's why if somebody says that hey it's my life I'm not killing you or anyone else I'm killing myself suicide is that okay permissible no so you have a right for what you have to take care of yourself you have to defend yourself you have to protect yourself so <clears throat> the right that you have over yourself whose right is greater upon you than the right of your own body the right of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi and the proof for that is if you have to give your life to defend rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam then you will give your life but you will defend Rasulullah sallallahu So that means the right of Rasulullah is greater than the life right of your own self. Then Allah Ta'ala says wa azwajuhu ummahatuhum and his wives are their mothers. Wa azwajuhu ummahatuhum. So that is where they got this title from, Ummul Mu'minin. And um when when it is mentioned Ummul Mu'minin, mother of the believers, mother of the believers from which perspective? Mother of the believers from the perspective that just like we respect our mothers we must respect the ummul mu'minin the wise of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam but that's one ruling which is the same the second ruling which is the same is that na'udhu billah just like the mother is a mahram that means haram to marry one's mother likewise allah taala says wala antankihu azwajahu min ba'dihi abada you cannot marry the wise of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam after him he never divorced one but if he were divorced one which he never did or after he passed away of course they were widows So any other widow it is permissible to marry a widow after her idda of 4 months and 10 days but the widows of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam it is haram to marry so with respect to um giving them adab and ihtiram and valuing them respecting them and also with respect to it being haram to marry them they are like mothers but beyond that it is is it permissible to be in khalwa with one's mother yes but not with the azwajul mutahharat Likewise is there any parda or hijab between a son and a mother no but there was with azwaj al mutahharat so when we say that they are the mothers of the believers it doesn't mean in every single aspect you follow what i'm saying only in two things respecting them and it's haram to marry them when they became widows in these two aspects they're ummul mu'minin otherwise we cannot take this and say that hey there is no hijab between the son and the mother therefore there is no hijab with aisha radhiyallahu anha Umar Salmardana Hafsa radiyallahu anha That is not the case do you understand Where is that proven from Surah Al-Ahzab In Surah Al-Ahzab Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala says Wa idha sa'altumuhunna mata'an when you want to ask the wise of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam for some need uh whether it's the dunya or the deen more likely you're going to ask them for something of the deen to teach us something that they saw from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam When you ask them 
When you ask them something, then you must ask them, hijab behind the curtain. You can't say, hey, you're my mother, why do I need a curtain for my mother? You understand? Then Allah Ta'ala says, this is atharu, more pure, for your hearts. He's not referring to hearts of munafiqun, he's referring to hearts of sahaba. This is more pure for your hearts, O Sahaba. bihinna, And it's more pure for their hearts. bihinna. Which hearts? Female. bihinna means the wives of Rasulullah So it's more pure for your hearts, Sahaba, and more pure for the hearts of the wives of Rasulullah Atharu. It's more pure for them. They need this level of purity to maintain the purity. And who are we talking about? We're talking about those women. I tend to say, I use this word... Uh, way of speaking, I say that their last name is Mutaharat, because they're known as Al-Azwaj Mutaharat Mutaharat is a passive participle, it means those who have been purified already so Al-Azwaj are those wives, Al-Mutaharat who have been purified yani, Mutahar comes from Tuhar they are already purified, that's why they are Mutaharat but Allah is saying Atharu, now for example, you say, well, that's what you're calling them. Where did you get the name? Well, the name also comes from the Quran. First page of 22nd Jews, Surah Al-Ahzab itself. Allah Ta'ala says, لِيُذِيبَ عَنْكُمْ وَرِدْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِّرَكُمْ Allah Ta'ala is removing all uh, impurities from you, O Ahl al-Bayt, the wise of Rasulullah وَيُطَهِّرَكُمْ With emphasis, known as Mafur Mutlaq, Ta'kid. Allah Ta'ala says, He has purified you of true, full purification. So they are mutahar. They are as pure as you can get. Yet Allah says that it's atharu liqulubikum muqulubihinna. It's more pure from your hearts, their hearts, that the hijab is maintained. Subhanallah. Fa'ina nahnu, where do we lie? Allah. So, this is, this is a whole long discussion about just this word Ummul Mu'mineen that is mentioned in the commentaries. Then the question comes, can you, if they're Ummul Mu'mineen, can you say Ummul Mu'minat? as well so the thing is look these words whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use the uh, you know this is something known as taghliban taghlib means if there are two categories then instead of mentioning both one of the categories mentioned and the other is included right just like I'll give examples that you can relate to those who speak Urdu as well for parents, you say walidain, right? Wa- walidain, all right. Now the thing is, walid, this becomes very crazy in this day and age, though. Walid is a father, and walidatun is a mother. And walidain means two. Now two of what? So if you take the word walid, father, walidain technically means two fathers, and walidatain would mean two mothers. But you have one father and one mother, and you want to mention, take up a word for, to include both. So do you say walidatain, or do you say walidain, or you say, forget, I can't do this, I give up. Huh? You, we say walidain. Walidain. Walidain, they make the lam sakin in Urdu, but it's actually in Arabic, it's walidani, walidaini. Walidain, Urdu, lam sakin ho jayega. But in Arabic, Islam is maksur, has a kasra, walidaini. Walidani walidaini Allah Akbar Walidaini means two dads You know they say God created Adam and Eve Not Adam and Steve 
Right. So, uh, uh, subhanAllah, now you have, in, 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 this, in, in this day and age, people say, oh, walidaini, two dads, not a problem. Na'udhu billahi min dhalik. But, uh, but throughout time, when people had common sense, common sense in a sense not common to all. <laughs> so what's happening is, uh, provided this common sense, we understand that you need a you need father and mother. So it's called validin. So th- this is called taghlib. Another example is, uh, so in Arabic it's known as abawain. Same thing. Abawain is abun and ummun. But together it's known as abawain, parents. And then you have like Hassan and Hussein radiallahu anhumah. So if you want to refer to Hassan and Hussein both, they say Hassan, Hassanain. Hassanain means two Hassans. Right? So you have Hassanain, Hussainain. Hussainain would mean two Husseins, And Hassanain means two Hassans. But Hassan and Hussein together are known as Hassanain. And Umarain. Umarain is Abu Bakr and Umar. Together are known as Umarain. Because Umar was more ghalib. Ashaddahum fi amrillahi Umar. And arhamu ummati bi ummati Abu Bakr. And then the sun and the moon... Uh, they would, the Arabs used to call them Qamarain Qamar and Shams Shams is the sun Qamar is the moon they, love, they preferred the moon They liked the moon Why they liked the moon? It's cooler And it would help them Traveling in the darkness uh, Of the night They would have the moonlight Moonlight is nice Moonlight is more romantic Than sunlight <laughs> So they preferred the sun, moonlight Nabi said Man khafa adlaja Whoever is afraid to reach his destination Adlaja He will travel in the night Quickly in the desert. Whoever leaves early in the night, he will reach the destination. Allah has prepared for you Jannah. It is something you got to work hard to reach. Don't wait. Start traveling in the night. So they would travel in the night, so they liked the, they liked the moon. <clears throat> they didn't like the sun, the sun was too hot. So that's why they say Qamarain. And you know, and there are many, many examples of this. So over here, when Allah Ta'ala says mu'mineen, it means mu'mineen and mu'minat, both. Asma radiallahu anha came to ask Rasulullah sallallahu uh, on behalf of the woman, she was sent as a, uh, uh, as a representative, uh, they, that they were not coming to object that why are we not mentioned in the Qur'an, they came to ask a question. SubhanAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the Qur'an says, Ya ayuhal ladheena amanu, O those who believe. But Allah ta'ala doesn't say, Ya ayuhal lati amanna, O those women who believe, directly. So we are not being addressed. So instead of coming and objecting and saying, Why are you not addressing us in the Qur'an directly? They came with a very humble question. They said, Ya Rasulullah, what are we doing incorrectly? What, how are we displeasing Allah? What are we doing wrong that Allah is addressing the men? And we are considered to be included but it's not directing, directly addressing us this was the question then Rasulullah said you will wait to see get an answer from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah in which he mentioned not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but rather ten attributes in which he specifically mentioned the woman in one ayah إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقَاتِ وَالصَّائِمِينَ وَالصَّائِمَاتِ وَالْحَافِظِينَ فُرُوجَهُمْ وَالْحَافِظَاتِ وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ 10 times 2 becomes 20 words 
Then for all of these categories, Allah Ta'ala says, Equal pay. The pay from Allah is, there's no gender gap in the pay. Because the payment is, you know the gender gap, fighting for equal wages? The equal wages is mentioned by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. That Allah has promised maghfirah and ajran azim for all of them. But the, when Allah is addressing the men, the women are included. So this Ummul Mu'mineen, it means Ummul Mu'mineen awal Mu'minat, both. And then the question comes that if the wives are Ummul Mu'mineen, can we call Rasulullah Sallallahu Abul Mu'mineen? <laughs> There's a whole good discussion about that. Then the answer is that look, this was never used. At the end of the day, is those terms which are used, we should use. And if, if they weren't used in the Quran and Sunnah, we don't have to come up with new terms. There, are, there is one hadith in which uh, is mentioned that, you know, the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, إِنَّمَا أَنَا لَكُمْ بِمَنْزَلَةِ الْوَالِدِ I am for you like, like a father. But the Sahaba never called him Abu Al-Mu'mineen. Uh, and one of the reasons is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He mentions in the Quran, مَا كَانَ مُحَمَّدٌ أَبَا أَحَدٍ مِرِجَالِكُمْ وَلَكِ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ Allah Ta'ala decreed in His infinite wisdom that Muhammad Sallallahu should not be the father of any adult male children amongst you. The children that He had, the male ones, they died in infancy. He had an a son-in-law slash cousin and that itself became a huge issue with the Shia-Sunni split Ali bin Abi Talib if he had sons then it would have been difficult it would have been more uh, perhaps battles about succession so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that he did not have a son likewise if Nabi sallallahu is not going to be known as Abul Mu'mineen then like Aisha radiallahu anha, her brother Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, are we going to call him Khalul Mu'minin, the Mamu of the Ummah? No. And her, and her uh, sister Asma radiallahu anha, Khalatul Mu'minin, the Khala of the Ummah? No. We do not extend it. It's only the wives are Ummul Mu'minin. That's it. You're not going to have Mamus of the Ummah. You're not going to have any other, uh, other relations. SubhanAllah. Even this is mentioned. So this is called this is called tawqifi. This is something that is given to us by Allah in the Quran. We don't put our mind into it and come up with all extrapolate all the other relatives. And the maqam of Aisha radiallahu anha. I don't think I'm going to go into the the matan today. I'll stop at this right. It's getting quite late since we started late after Ramadan. Inshallah, we'll start after Maghrib. Inshallah. But uh, this Aisha radiallahu anha. There's a whole discussion about who is the Afdalun Nisa, the best of the women. There's a long discussion since her name appears here in the commentaries of hadith. Because there's a hadith of Rasulullah Sallallahu The superiority of Aisha anha over all the other women is like the superiority of Tharid over all the other foods. So you have to try Tharid to understand how tasty it is. At least in the era of Rasulullah Sallallahu it was considered the best food. So she is the most honored um, or the best of the women. Or is it Khadija radiallahu anha? Or is it Fatima radiallahu anha? Or is it Maryam alayhi salam? Or is it Asi alayhi salam? So who is the best of the women of all time? So the bottom line is that there are five sifat, five attributes that are uh, unique to these five women. And in these five attributes, which every woman should 
aspired to achieve in her life, these five women excelled. Maryam alayhi salam is extreme in her haya, in ifa, and chastity, in remaining pure. And for the detail of that, refer to Surah Maryam. And then you have Asi alayhi salam, she was Zawjatu, Imra'atu Fir'aun. Her, she was extreme in her sabr and remaining steadfast despite the tortures of her husband Fir'aun so in that attribute she was excellent and unparalleled and then Khadija anha, with respect to khidma of the husband and sacrificing her wealth and her property and her richness for the servants of the deen Unparalleled, no one can match her. Jibreel came down and said, Allah is sending his salam upon you. Then you have in Zuhud, sacrifice, Qurbani, Wara'a Taqwa, Sayyidat Nisa Ahl Jannah, Fatima radiallahu anha, in her, in her Zuhud. And there are amazing stories of that, Zuhud. And ilm, and knowledge of the deen, in transmitting that knowledge, one third of their ilm, and narrating thousands of ahadith then there's none of the women that can compare to Aisha radiallahu anha. So these are the top ranking five women of all times. So she narrates, Anna al-Harith ibn Hisham radiallahu anhu sa'ala Rasulullah sallallahu She narrates that Harith ibn Hisham, he asked Rasulullah sallallahu the following question. So we will continue from here, inshallah. It's, it's going to be a big gap, unfortunately. Uh, next uh, Friday we will be gone for inshallah if Allah accepts in Umrah and after that it will be the Ramadan so we will try to pick it up from Harith bin Hisham Harish, uh, Harith bin Hisham uh, cousin of Khalid bin Walid anhu. Harith bin Hisham bin Mughira son of, uh, and Khalid bin Walid bin Mughira so I said that he is a cousin of Khalid bin Walid first because we want to have good nisbah but of course uh, his brother is Amr ibn Hisham. His brother is Abu Jahal. Subhanallah. Abu Jahal was his brother. Khalid bin Walid was his cousin, Harith bin Hisham. He also was with Abu Jahal in the Battle of Badr, Battle of Uhud, on the Mushrikeen side. He accepted Islam in Fatih Makkah. Subhanallah. Conquest Makkah way late. And in the Battle of Hunayn, he was among the Mu'allaf of the Qulub. Nabi Sallallahu gave him 100 camels. But mashallah, if you recall a few weeks ago, maybe second or third session we spoke about Ikrama bin Abi Jahl and how he accepted Islam and his wife does anyone remember? Yeah. so Ikrama bin Abi Jahl at the battle of Yarmouk I mentioned how he passed away the battle of Yarmouk he said who is ready to move forward till we die we will not go back and Harith bin Hisham was amongst them who was the uncle of Ikrama bin Abi Jahl he also became shaheed in the battle of Yarmouk so he asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And he said, Ya Rasulullah, kayfi atika al-wahiyu? How does the wahi come to you? Insha'Allah, if Allah wills, we will pick up the story from here. Alhamdulillah, we had an opportunity to discuss a little bit about the narrators of this hadith today. Wa akhru da'wana, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanallah, bihamdihi, subhanakallah, bihamdihi, 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 bihamdihi